Well, here we go. Another edition of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, standing in host for Ray. On behalf of Ray, Brad Lominick, and another edition is here for you. Thanks for tuning in. And by the way, if you're uh, if you're listening to this audio podcast, which you are, you might be missing out on the video of many of these interviews and conversations, which is happening a weekly basis on the Thrive webinars. So if you go to thriveconference.org, you can uh, access the webinars. You'll be able to find some all the different uh, past webinars. You can watch that on video. There's some other content, information, updates, announcements that are included in those webinars. We're pulling primarily the interviews for this podcast that uh, Ray or others are doing. So you can, uh, you can double dip. Do the old double dip. Go and check out those videos. There's also tons of resources on the thriveconference.org website. And uh, hopefully that will help you. Our goal with the entire Thrive team, with, with Bayside Church, with Ray Johnston and the crew is to help you be a better leader. Healthy leaders, thriving churches. And on this episode of the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast, Andrew McCourt, who is uh, part of the senior pastor team at Bayside and uh, standing in for Ray, gets to sit down with Clay Scroggins. And Clay Scroggins is a pastor of Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is part of the North Point Community Church Network, part of North Point Ministries. Clay is a uh, uh, an author. He's written a couple of books that many of you may be aware of. Uh, the first was called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And this is one of those books I highly recommend. If you're a leader in the middle of the organization, if you're leading from, you know, uh, in, inside the team, uh, which most of us are, you know, we've all got a boss. Uh, here's, here's, you know, a few thoughts on Clay's book. Are you letting your lack of authority paralyze you? One of the greatest myths of leadership is that you must be in charge in order to lead. Great leaders don't buy into that. Great leaders lead with, with or without the authority and learn to unleash their influence wherever they are. Clay Scroggins will help you nurture your vision and cultivate influence even when you lack authority in your organization. So that's a bit of how to lead where you're not in charge. He's also written his newest book is called How to Lead in a World of Distraction. And this book was written to help identify ways to turn down the white noise of our increasingly busy lives. So he's got four habits in the book that will help you turn down the noise and lead in a world of distraction. So check those books out. As I mentioned, Clay is the uh, the pastor of Buckhead Church in the Buckhead area of Atlanta. He's also been the campus pastor, lead pastor at North Point at the main location or the original location of North Point Community Church. He uh, he describes himself as, uh, as a pastor, speaker, author, father, husband. And he says that he began as a facilities intern at North Point, which is actually true. Uh, that's a great story that Clay has in terms of how he got started at North Point just after college. His, he's worked his way through many organization levels and has learned a lot along the way. So he uh, he's one of those young voices and young leaders and young minds, thinkers that we really need to be paying attention to. I also love the thoughts that Clay has around digital church and you know how we're expressing church in a digital age. So let's get to that conversation with Andrew McCourt interviewing Clay Scroggins. Hey, Clay, so nice to meet you. Uh, I've heard so much about you in the past. I've uh, seen your books, read some of your stuff, and it's a privilege to finally get to meet you. Thanks, Andy. Um, glad to meet you. Grateful to get to do this. Uh, thanks for using your big... Uh, 
your large light to shine a little of it on me. I appreciate that. Grateful for the opportunity. Not at all. And how's life with you currently? They're over in Atlanta, you know, just for you as a, you know, married guy, family life, all of that sort of stuff. How, how's it feeling for you at the moment? Uh, well, today's a great day. My wife is 37 years old as wow. of today. Congratulations. Celebrating her. We've got five kids. Uh, we've got a sixth grader all the way down to a two-year-old. And so the older four are in school and the school system that we're in, we're in Atlanta, the Atlanta public school system. Um, and we're not, we're still meeting virtually. So um, we had four kids scattered around the house today on, on their Zoom call in their class. Um, two of them go to a public charter school where they wear a uniform. Uh-huh. So they do what all of us are doing these days, wearing the uniform from the waist up, you know? Oh, and then- wow. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, I, I went to the office this morning till about, I came home after lunch, but we're, um, our church is still, we're not gathering yet face to face. We're still meeting virtually. And then a lot of our groups are meeting face to face and starting to have some volunteer gatherings and some night of worships and some outdoor events, things like that. Uh, we have about 75 staff this morning. There were probably 10 of them in the building. So still pretty quiet around the office. Um, but overall I'm, Doing great, feeling great, really grateful for uh, life today. That's how I'm feeling. That's great. Well, in, in a few moments, I want to talk more uh, about the church, but uh, you're, you're a pastor. Uh, obviously, you're a husband and a father, but you're also a great writer, and you've just released a book, which I think is so timely. It's called How to Lead in a World of Distraction. I love this here. Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Because let's be honest, it doesn't matter where you live in the planet. This is not just a message for America. People have so much noise in their lives. Do you want to talk a little bit about the heart of the book? Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, I wrote this book in 2019, well, end of 2018, 2019. It released uh, at the end of 2019. And then obviously in March, the whole world changed. So uh, I really found it's found some new life and it's taken on some new meaning. Uh, there was a story I saw that uh, CNN ran a couple of months ago that was pretty fascinating. After about the first six weeks of the pandemic, there's a city in uh, the Punjab people in northern India that was about 50 miles from the Himalayan mountains, but because of all the smog and pollution, they couldn't see, they had never, in 30 years, they hadn't seen the Himalayan mountains. And because of the, the way the world had changed, the way traffic shut down, pollution was lighter, the smog went away, all of a sudden, the, the fog of life had cleared and these people could now see the Himalayan mountains. Wow. Which is such a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful story, but it's also a pretty remarkable illustration for what's happened in this season. It, it sounds also like Los Angeles. People could finally see the beach. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it, it cleared for people. They could see the Hollywood sign once again. It was kind of like that. Anyway, keep going. So the, the, I think what this pandemic has done for a lot of us, what the season has done is it's turned down the noise for us in a lot of ways. You know, every, almost to a person, everyone I've talked to, and we've got people in our church, just like people in your church, that this has hit us in so many different ways. We've got people that are, you know, school teachers or FedEx drivers, things like that, where things have been pretty stable for them. We've got some people who um, 
this has been a real uh, uh, positive thing for them economically. We've got some people that are super cautious health-wise. And then we've got people that this has been just absolutely tragic for their family. And so we've got people kind of all over the map. But for almost every single person, people have said, you know, this season has turned down the noise for me. It's, it's forced me to slow down. It's mm. gotten quiet. And what happens when things get quiet is a lot of times we reach for something else. We find another distraction to keep ourselves from having to face those things that are inside of us. Because the truth is, most of us love our distractions. Most of us are distracted and we're not distracted by chance. We're actually distracted for a reason. Uh, We keep our fingers on the dial of the distractions because... The, the danger of life is not so much the distraction, but it's what's on the other side of the distraction. And oftentimes what's on the other side mm. of distraction are some emotional debris or shrapnel or noise that we don't want to pay attention to because it's just too painful or because it, uh, it just would take too much work or because we just would rather not. And the, the secret of leadership, the secret of becoming an even better leader, which I think being a leader is a very spiritual work. I think there's uh, such huge implications for every single one of us to become a better leader that when we do, everyone around us gets better. We become better husbands and better wives and we become better fathers and mothers. We become better sons and daughters and we become better employees and better bosses at work. And if we can learn to force ourselves through habits to turn down the noise on a regular basis, low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of what's going on inside of us, mm. I need to becoming a better leader because it will allow us to become more emotionally aware. It will allow us to deal with those things inside of us that maybe we've been running from or denying or escaping from. And uh, we all know that the healthiest leaders are the ones that are the most emotionally healthy people. So it's, uh, it's been a fantastic message to carry and it's been a great, uh, a fun message to carry really uh, or maybe it's had new life, I should say, not necessarily, but it's had new life in this season. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange that we've had to live more of our lives inside, but it's like the volume has gone up. You know, there's more distractions even in isolation, social media, the media itself. How has this affected you as a family and how have you employed some of these habits almost, you know, for your marriage, for the good of your children? you got five kids that's a lot of noise right there. You know, how have you sort of um, worked these habits into your own life? Yeah, and I would say the noise right now is, um, for me, the, the fatigue of this season. Mm. This season has been like running a marathon, but, you know, we got to the end of what we thought was the end. And then, you know, society was like, oh, wait a second, we're not done yet. You got to keep running. And we're kind of running at full speed um, with no end in sight. I mean, every decision that we thought we had already made uh, is basically a new decision now that we have to make again in a new way. Things just take, feels like we're working twice as hard to get half as much done. I heard the other day someone said, you know, every week's a three-day work week, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's just remarkable how challenging the season has been for so many different people. So, you know, our church is, uh, we're a church of small groups. Uh, we, we really are passionate about really encouraging people to live life in community. So this morning at 6.30 a.m., I was in my men's group. We met over Zoom this morning. We're doing about half Zoom, half face-to-face. And 
uh, the guys in our group were talking about this this morning that I just, you know, one of them said, I think my struggle right now is I'm using sports and news as the way to escape all the challenges that I'm doing right now. Um, and as a leader, I feel that way because there are no certain answers. There is not an answer right now that's going to appease everyone. I feel like in every decision that we're making, we're disappointing someone. Mm-hmm. And that difficult. That gets really exhausting. And I have found myself doing the same thing of escaping, using noise, using distraction to escape having to face the reality of how challenging the season is. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to employ some of these habits myself. And they're really, they're, they're spiritual disciplines. I mean, it's the discipline of simplicity, the discipline of, of uh, solitude and silence, the discipline of fasting or Sabbath. And then the discipline of speaking to ourselves, allowing God's voice to be the preeminent voice in our mind and in our soul. Uh, th- those are the habits that I encourage people to, to take on in this season. Uh, well, whether they're in this season or not, but particularly uh, there's a lot of meaning for those habits in this season. Great. And speaking of this season, obviously none, uh, no one was ready for a global pandemic. But it would appear, Clay, that uh, yourself and your church was probably better prepared for this moment than others because for a long time, long before COVID-19, you've been a champion of the digital age and how the church should leverage that for its good and being digital missionaries. Uh, you want to talk about that uh, for a moment, how uh, you know, passionate you are about that and how we can use it better? Yeah, we, um, you know, we... Like you said, no one could be prepared. So we still, we feel behind. We feel, um, we look at other industries and feel like that they certainly, there are industries and organizations and companies that are way further ahead than we are. Um, but yeah, this, is a, this has been a point of emphasis for sure for us for the last, I would say uh, we, we've been dabbling in it for the last decade. It's been a significant point of conversation for the last five years. And then it's been, I would say a real point of emphasis for the last two years. So uh, what started happening is we started seeing what retail stores were seeing, where the steps into their stores were declining. So there were less foot traffic in the stores. And of course, we asked the question, well, why, why is that mm-hmm. happening? People are shopping online, right? People are buying their products online. And so that same thing was happening with us. We started, we, 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 had, we were streaming our services online. We were offering a lot digitally. We were really um, trying to, trying to move some resources in that way, not near enough, but trying to. And so we started seeing the, the feet in the building decline, but our sales were increasing. And when I say sales, obviously a lot of people cringe in the church world, but what I mean by sales is we, we count, for us, our business is helping people take steps. We wanna help people grow in their faith. And so any step toward following Jesus more closely, we count as a, as a win or as a sale. And so, you know, anytime somebody increases their giving, anytime somebody, uh, generosity is one of the most, one of the greatest evidence of a, of a, a person following yeah. Jesus. Uh, when people take, take step toward community, toward being in intentional relationships where people are pursuing Jesus together, anytime people take steps toward being on a service team or even sharing, uh, sharing a link with someone or inviting someone to attend with them, those are the, the, those are big wins for us. And so we started seeing our steps into the store declining. We started seeing our sales increasing and it was baffling because <laughs> we're looking around going, wait a second. It feels like there's less people, but 
there's more action, there's more productivity, more, more wow. positive things are happening. How could this be true? And of course, the answer was the same as what retail stores were discovering is that people were shopping online. People were, mm -hmm. they were consuming our service online or consuming our gathering online, but they were still gathering in group together. They were getting what they could get digitally and still trying to take steps that they couldn't get digitally. They were still taking those steps face to face. So, um, yeah, that's been a, that was a pretty huge, a huge moment, a huge aha moment for us. And so we started looking to some other organizations who are quite a bit further ahead than we are trying to learn from them and trying to understand uh, how do we begin to integrate people's digital experience with their physical experience in a way that it complements each other and doesn't work against each other. Because that's the greatest fear is that, well, if people start watching online, what are they going to just quit doing everything? And, you know, I encourage everyone, well, you know, my guess is you probably shop some on Amazon. Does that mean you quit going to stores? You know, you probably haven't completely quit going yeah. to store. Um, I, and I think the best kind of life, I think the kind of life that's in the future is a life where all of that is integrated together. There's certainly going to be, um, there's going to be technology, technology that's going to improve our life, but you cannot replace the face-to-face. -face. Uh, that, that verse in 2 John, I think it's 2 John verse 12, he says, I write to you right now with pen and ink, though I long to be with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Mm. There is completeness that happens when we're face to face. But John is saying, but we can't be face to face. And so I'm using the technology of the day to get this message to you until we can get face to face. And so that's what we're trying to do is how do, how do we leverage all that the uh, digital world has to offer to complement what we know we can only do face-to-face. -face. Excellent. What, what would be some of the practical sort of strategies, tactics, or tools that you have used? Because it's one thing to say, oh, we move more online or we're leveraging online. What have been some of the key wins for you that you would recommend for, you know, the thousands of viewers that are watching? Yeah. The first thing I would say to do is read a book like, uh, I mean, this is not the only book that you can read that talks about this topic, but Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, uh, where he really puts out a simple plan. It's a business plan for any organization. Hey, you got to be able to answer the, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we counting it? And who's responsible for it? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's forced us to re-answer those questions because we would have, you know, we just would have loads of conversation like, well, what do we want for people? In general, what do we want for people? And once you can answer that question, you start realizing, do we just want people to attend church physically? We're not satisfied with that. We were never okay with that. So that's not just what we want now. Um, do we want people to be connected through relationship? Are we okay if those relationships are never face-to-face? -face? So those are the kind of questions that I think we, um, we've got to start with. Those philosophical questions of, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we going to measure it? And then who's responsible for it? Who are we holding accountable for it? So that's probably the best thing that it did, which that has nothing to do with the digital world or the physical mm. world. But it made us re-answer those questions because the world has changed. Our world, is our, our organization, I should say, our church for the last 25 years, we're 25 years old this fall, for the last 24 years, we've been calibrated for a world that no longer exists. And so we have to, we have to reevaluate what are we doing and why are we doing it? 
and how are we going to measure it? And then who are, who's going to be responsible for doing it? Who are we going to hold accountable for doing it? So that's been the best thing is having to re-answer those questions. Um, then once you do that, I think trying to figure out how to actually move dollars, move dollars and um, to the digital world. Um, the, the guy that's been probably the most influential person for us is a gentleman that goes to our church. He's the former CEO of the Home Depot. And so they're, you know, one of the biggest retailers uh, in the world. And he was the CEO when they really made a significant transition of identifying Amazon and not Lowe's as their chief competitor, which was a huge shift for them. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once they did that, once they said it out loud, okay, our biggest competitor is Amazon, not Lowe's. Then they started shifting resources to the digital space to home depot.com. And I remember showing him, I had breakfast one morning. I was pretty proud at some changes that we had made into language. We had changed some language, meaning we had taken our vision statement that we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. Mm. And we brought the two words to attend. And so it was, we want to be a church that unchurched people love. And I felt so proud. of. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the breakfast over some pancakes going, hey, Frank, look at what we did. We dropped the two words. How are we doing? You know, I was hoping he was going to like give me a pat on the shoulder, the pat on the head and say, way to go, buddy, you know. But instead he said, that's not near enough. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, until you're moving people and until you're moving dollars to the point where people are getting frustrated, you're not doing enough. He said, are people howling about how many resources and dollars and people you're moving the digital space? Uh, I said, well, of course, no, no one's howling at this point. He said, well, until that happens, you're not doing enough. So that's been a real guiding um, statement for me, a real guiding challenge is are we, is there somebody waking up? Is there a team waking up every day thinking about the people that only engage with us digitally? Um, Because we certainly have a team of people waking up thinking about the people that engage with us physically. So um, that's the, that would be the second thing I'd encourage people to do is Mm -hmm. shift your yeah. So obviously that has been really heightened in this season. You were doing that before. Uh, how has how has your church pivoted and moved extra dollars and extra people in this particular season? Well, yeah, in a way, everyone's pivoted. I mean, in a way, everyone's shifted because they're really, we just have such few um, face-to-face environments right now. And so that's why I really say, and I I hesitate to say this has been a blessing because I know for so many people it has been tragic, but um, there is a blessing in this. And the blessing for us has been that the the world was already moving this way. And we just experienced five years of change compressed into five months. Mm -hmm. And so we were forced to make changes that I was... I was probably too eager to make a year ago, but you know, in the last five months, we've been forced to make some of these changes. So it's just reevaluating people's jobs, reevaluating who's responsible for what. So we try to think real simply about a funnel about, you know, this is the way, same way any sales organization thinks is who's thinking about your new leads, the people that are bumping into your social media, bumping into your website, maybe streaming your service for the first time. We have a goal over the next 90 days for our church, we're, we're one of seven Atlanta area churches in our organization. And for our particular campus or our local church, we're 
uh, believing God for 500 new contacts, 500 new people um, that bump into our site, that bump into our social media, that somebody invites, shares a link with, watches the service for the first time and makes that courageous decision to raise their hand and say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. When someone gets your email address, Donald Miller says it's like somebody giving you $20. Mm -hmm. So someone going to buckheadchurch.org slash new and filling out our new here form and raising their hand and letting us know I'm here. We mail them a t-shirt and then we have someone on our concierge team follow up with them and say, hey, how can we help steward the courageous step that you've taken to be known? Mm -hmm. That's what we yeah. So what do you do to help, you know, to help you do that? There might have been someone who moved here who came from, an, you know, an, another part of the country where they were a part of a church already. And they're going, well, I want to be a part of a volunteer team. I'm ready, you know, right now. Or someone might be uh, in a situation where they need financial counseling. They might need uh, to find a group. Um, there's so many different steps. But whatever the right step for them is, it's the step that they decide is the right step with them. And we want to help them with that because we want to help them take a step in following Jesus and engaging in the life and mission of our church. And so that's, um, we call that our attraction team. So we've moved about a third of our staff onto that team. We have an, an engagement team that helps people take that step, any small step, uh, any large step. We've started counting those steps and really measuring them and trying to follow the trend of what step are people most likely to take. And then we have our, I mean, our, our main products at our organization, our church, the, the thing that where people see the most fruit in their life, where they grow the most, or when they get into a group, or when they serve on one of our family ministry team, or when they get their kids in one of our family ministry environments. And so um, we, the, that's about a third of our staff that are responsible for that, those two groups of people, and their jobs haven't really changed much at all, um, other than doing a lot of meetings. Yeah over video, but um, it's still a real similar type job. So I would say about half of our staff, their jobs have changed pretty radically um, over the last six months. Okay. And in short, is it working? Are you winning with this strategy? Does anyone really know, Andy? <laughs> you know, honestly, that's been the biggest challenge of this season is yeah. how do we know if we're winning? And the reason why is because winning is relative. Winning is, did we have a better record than we had last year? And it's apples and oranges. It's so hard to compare yes. right now to last year because we're in a global pandemic. And that's a pretty significant deal. And in 2019, we weren't. So I feel like everyone's kind of shooting in the dark on whether or not we're winning. In fact, I mean, that is honestly, all jokes aside, that is probably the greatest challenge with our staff right now is how do you help people stay motivated in a job when they don't know if they're winning? I mean, that's my own yeah. personal waking up every day going, I think I'm doing the right thing. I think this is what God has for us and what he wants for us, but I don't know if we're winning. And that is incredibly challenging. So we believe that this is the right thing. We believe that this is whatever the world goes back to, you know, I, I assuming we eventually have a vaccine that's widely distributed and we all you know, move back to a life where we're not wearing masks and giving each other hugs again and, you know, having gatherings of over, you know, a couple thousand people, I would call that more normal. Once we get back to that, I still think the world is going to be radically different. Um, and we're, we're making a pretty big bet on that, but yeah. I, maybe, 
maybe people are going to be like, no, we forget all the digital. So we're putting the phone back in the drawer, we're putting the computer back in the sh- on the shelf, and we're going right back to face-to-face. I don't believe that's going to happen. I think a lot of this is here to stay. And mm-hmm. so I, I think these moves we're making are strategic, and I think they're important, and I think they're with our eyes on the horizon. But uh, we don't know. We really yeah. don't yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm, you know, I've been wondering about Outreach Magazine, you know, that one edition that comes out once a year, you know, fastest growing church, largest church. I wonder what the metric's going to be, the least depressed church in America. You know, it's, it's a yeah. new, it's new world. Here, tell us a little bit about, um, just give us a quick synopsis of your church, the history of your church. I mean, I'm sure that the majority of our viewers uh, know all of this, but just for anyone out there that's not familiar, because I would love to dive into that a little bit. Well, uh, Andy Stanley is our senior pastor, and Andy's dad is a real famous pastor here in Atlanta. He actually just uh, moved into a role at First Baptist Atlanta as the pastor emeritus after almost 50 years in the role as senior pastor at First Baptist Atlanta. So, um, Andy wrote all about this in a, a book called Deep and Wide in the first couple of chapters, but his parents went through a really difficult divorce that just rocked that church and rocked Andy's family. And uh, through that set of circumstances, Andy and a few other people realized uh, they went to Willow Creek, which was a huge inspiration of them to them mm-hmm. at the time, and realized we have a church. We've got plenty of churches in Atlanta. We are definitely, I don't think we're the buckle of the Bible Belt, but we are certainly on the belt. Mm-hmm. And um, there's plenty of churches, but there's not a church that we would want to invite someone to that is not a church person. So that's really where that vision was birthed, being a church that unchurched people love. And so that happened in uh, 1995. They started North Point Community Church. And then soon after, we started uh, doing some uh, some video venues in the Atlanta area, Buckhead Church, which is the church where I'm uh, a pastor right now, and then a church in the most north suburb of Atlanta. Uh, we call it Brownsbridge Church. And since then, we've planted uh, a bunch of other strategic partner churches around uh, the U.S. and then adopted a bunch of strategic partner churches and in a few different parts of the world as well. And then uh, we have seven seven campuses, or we, we call them churches because we really think about them as local churches. We want them to be, we want them to feel like a local church in that community. So more than, you know, people have this tension in life right now is would I rather something that feels very local and very me and it's something that I identify with or would I rather be a part of something that's huge, that's global, that's all over the world, um, that's massive in size. And the truth is all of us have a little bit of both in us. We all want, we want our local hardware store, but then we also want the big chain hardware store. So um, we're really trying to find that balance, but uh, we've got seven churches in Atlanta and hoping to do a few more over the next couple of years. And um, Andy is 62 years old, I believe. And so he's been our the senior pastor for the last, uh, since our church started in 95. So 25 years. That's great. So try and describe to us what it's like to work with Andy Stanley. Well, that's the most common question I get, you know, because he's a, <laughs> he's a very famous um, and a, he's a fantastic communicator and uh, he's an excellent boss. I mean, he's, there's a lot of challenging aspects to him, like any highly driven, very motivated, his, his level of excellence is so high. Um, he holds himself to such a high standard. He's a, he's a one on the Enneagram. So uh, that's the, the perfectionist. I mean, mm-hmm. he is in search of, he's in, he's in search of the greatest sermon ever. 
Um, he just has a tenacious desire to become a better communicator. I remember probably five years ago, he stood up at one of our, it was our kind of our first all staff meeting, probably five or 600 employees in January, beginning of the year. And he said, um, I feel so motivated to not be the lid on this organization because of how stellar you all are. We have one of the greatest staffs on the planet. And because you're so great, I have never come into a year more motivated to work harder, to be more diligent and more faithful, to make sure that I am as good of a leader as I can be, as good of a communicator as I can be, and to make sure that I'm not the lid on what God might want to do in the church. And so I remember sitting in the seat that day thinking, that is like Michael Jordan having won four or five championships coming Mm -hmm. into the next season. Just want to let you all know, not only am I the most talented, but I'm also going to work harder than anyone else is going to work this year. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a very inspiring and then sometimes challenging person to work with because he is so driven. Um, and he is so driven to make sure that we do everything we can do to not lose a generation. Mm. May, it seems based on data are walking away from the church and maybe walking away from faith. And that's what really drives him. He just has this, it's crazy to be a pastor, the son of a pastor uh, and, and a pretty, um, you know, he hasn't really had a significantly rebellious season of life, but to have someone with that background be so motivated to reach people that are far from Jesus, um, it's just, it's awesome and it's inspiring. And he's a, he's a great, he's been a, in, just a fantastic mentor to me. He's very um, generous. This message that he preaches about what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room, you give away your power mm-hmm. to other people, you loan your power to them. I mean, he certainly loaned his power to me for sure. So I um, feel really grateful for him and uh, really love working for him. Super. So on the back of that question, yeah, you wrote a great book with an even better title. It's called How to Lead when you're not in charge. And I think that is such a a needed message at the moment, this whole balance of influence over authority. Um, Do you want to just describe that book to us a little bit and how you've just um, worked that into your life? Yeah, the title has sold a lot better too. (laughs) (laughs) 10 to one, what anything else, this other book that I've done. But it's, um, yeah, it's been a gift. I mean, it's been a really fun message to carry. I, um, I had a meeting with him one day where I was, uh, he, it was actually, he was frustrated about some stuff that was happening in our student ministry. And I was a campus pastor, but my background is in student ministry. So he wanted to get my opinion on it because he knew that I was, I understood both sides. And there's this tension that we feel as I'm sure your organization feels as well. Anytime you're a multi-site organization, when you try to scale your organization, there becomes this tension between the local campus desiring autonomy and desiring to be fit in the context that they're doing ministry in and the central organization is trying to keep the DNA and trying to keep the core values of the organization. And so uh, that's just a very common discussion for us to have. And I say discussion meaning uh, vibrant at times with voices raised discussion. So, so he's asking me, what's the deal? And as a campus, I start blaming the central organization. I start saying, well, they're not giving us what we need and Mm -hmm. it's coming late or it's not very good. 
And so he looks at me and he goes, so the people on your team are preaching bad sermons because they're not getting an outline on time or they're getting an outline that they don't like. Is that what you're saying? And it was that moment in life where, um, you know, you have, you you start realizing that you kind of smell, you know, you're like, oh no, do I stink? Is this me? You know, I've been smelling and I'm realizing it's me. It was this, it was kind of an alarming moment where I realized that I was, I was, I had stepped into the role of the victim. I was walking around in a victim mindset going, oh, well, I don't have the authority to fix this problem. Yes, I think this is a problem. And I was blaming someone else in another department saying it's their problem. And if only I had the power or the authority to fix it, I would. And that's, for me, that was kind of the moment when it hit me. Oh, wow. I have started to believe the lie that you can only lead if you're in charge. And it's just a myth that the truth is the most, some of the greatest movements in the world have been started by or been followed through by people who were not in charge. They didn't have the title. They didn't have the, the authority to do it. They mm-hmm. leveraged influence. And that's what makes leadership tick. It's essentially what leadership is, is influence. And you can cultivate influence whether you're in charge or not. And so that's what I've been. I went on a journey myself to go, all right, well, forget it. What do I need to do to cultivate more influence for myself. If I don't have all the authority, I've got a couple of options. I can sit back and be passive and get real frustrated about the authority I don't have. I can go out on my own and get all, think I have all the authority at that point, but then I don't have the resources that an organization like ours has. Or I can go, all right, inside of this organization, how do I learn to develop the kind of influence that I know that I want, the kind of influence that I believe I need to be able to get the things done that I think need to be done. And so. That's really what the book is about, is um, cultivating influence when you lack authority. I think what you're saying there is that attitude then is way more important than authority. You know, that sort of perspective that you take. What would you say to some younger leaders out there that are experiencing some frustration at the moment, uh, thinking they would like to be the kingpin, uh, but uh, that's not happening in their lives? Yeah, I think you gotta start by I, I would start by looking inside and just asking yourself what you believe about leadership. You know, if you if you do believe that you've got to be in charge in order to lead, then you might need to lead. You might need to go do your own thing. If you are working under a leader that you can't feel like, you just don't feel like you can follow, maybe it is time. So I, I never want to tell somebody it's not time, especially if they feel like, well, this is where God is leading me. But I would just caution and say there's more to be learned. Typically, there's more to be learned when things are hard than when things are easy. Mm, very good. When things are hard than when they're easy. Um, and if you can learn to develop and cultivate influence now in the seat you're in, it will make you a better leader the day you become the authority. Mm-hmm. Because the biggest leaders, the, the leaders that we all love, the leaders that we all want to follow, they don't leverage authority to get stuff done anyway. They leverage influence. They leverage relationship. They, they, they believe in people. They call people to a higher standard. They, they lead with the carrot and not the, the whip. And so I, I, I would just encourage people to uh, not run from hard things to, you know, the weight room is difficult because the weights are heavy, mm-hmm. but the weights are heavy because it builds strength and you're not wasting time just because it's hard. In fact, God might just be using this season to grow you in a way that he wouldn't otherwise grow you. And then secondly, I would just say, hey, if you can learn how to do it now, it will help you for the rest of your life. And 
learn how to do it from the seat you're in, whether you're an intern, whether you're, you know, a coordinator or a middle level manager or a groups director or, or a youth pastor or a worship pastor, associate pastor, learn how to cultivate influence now. And it will only help you when the day comes, when your moment comes. Um, that's what I would encourage people to do. Great. Here, what, what have you learned this year in regards to your own leadership? Well, what's, I mean, we've never been in a landscape like this before. What have you learned about yourself? I am more dependent on God right now than I've ever um, I feel like that has been the message that I've heard from my father over and over again is just come closer, um, be with me more, need me more, depend on me more. Um, I, I've got a friend who I, I remember uh, I was speaking at a funeral and this couple at our church knew the kid that had died. And so I rode with them to the funeral and I was sitting in the back seat and I was a youth pastor still. And the couple that was driving, they knew this couple, they knew the kid that had died because their son had had cancer as well. And their sons were friends. And so I started asking them about what that experience was like. And I'll never forget the mom sitting in the front seat. Their son had had leukemia. It had relapsed. Their son had actually survived, but we were going to a funeral of their son's friend who hadn't. And I remember the mom tearing up saying, I almost miss that season. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. What are you talking about? And she said, I just remember my relationship with God was so real. I just talked to him all day long because I had to, because I needed him. Be vacuuming the house going, God, you have mm-hmm. to come. We need, we, we, we have to, we, we, you're the only place we can turn. And that's, for me, that's been the best part of this season is it has driven me to pray more. It's driven me to depend on God more and feel more inclined to trust him and need him. And so that's been the message that I've sensed from him is just come closer, come closer to me. Yeah. And I know you asked about leadership, but that's the best place for us all to lead. Yeah. Uh, you know, this season has been challenging because you can't, lead in this season with only optimism but you also can't lead in this season with only realism Mm -hmm. and so trying to find that balance between being realistic about what is going on but also being optimistic and choosing positivity which is ultimately it's the virtue of hope of believing that there is a day when things can be better whether in this life or the next i think that can only happen when we're led by god's spirit and so i um, I think I think being close to him um, is the best place to lead. So that's been the best leadership thing that has happened to me is it's caused me to be more dependent on my father. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I'm really sad to say this, but we got to start drawing this conversation to a close. But hey, one last question. What would you say that you are most excited about right now? You know, you talked about optimism there, and that's one of the greatest gifts a leader can bring to the table. What, what are you most excited about? I guess my, my hope, what would make me most excited is that I feel like we have all been reaching for things in this season, hoping they will meet our needs, whether it's um, economic stability, um, political unity, uh, racial healing, and 
we've got a ways to go. We've got a lot of work to do in all of those areas, but ultimately they're none of them, they're not going to fulfill us. They're not going to meet our need. And part of being a follower of Jesus is seeking those. When the city thrives, we all thrive. Mm. The city thrives, the church thrives. And so our success as a church is dependent on the success of our city. But ultimately we all know those are not going to meet our needs. That the only thing that is going to meet our need. They're all, you know, what did Paul, Paul called them all rubbish. You know, these are yeah. all rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Christ. And so that's, that's probably what I'm most excited for is continuing to, um, continuing to see people come up empty from some of the wells that they've dug, hoping to find water. And that's sad and scary and alarming and, but at the same time, there's so much hope in that because it's when we find those wells empty that we start looking other places. And my hope is that the church will continue to be the church, continue to be the light of the world and continue to deliver the living water to people in a world that is more thirsty than ever. And so I, um, that's probably what I'm most excited about, what I'm most hopeful about in this, in this upcoming season. Great. Hey, great answer. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, especially on your wife's birthday. And don't forget, Clay, anthropology is a winner every time. You cannot go wrong in anthropology. You buy anything and it always works. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Andy. Hey, take care. And we look forward to seeing you in the flesh someday when this craziness is over. So God bless. Thank you, Clay. All right. Thank you, Clay, for jumping in and being available. That was a great conversation. Uh, if you want to follow Clay on the social media outlets, um, he is available on all those outlets. Just Clay Scroggins on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And his website is claysproggins.com. You can find more information on him there. So check him out. Uh, give him a follow. But buy his books. These are great resources. And again, we want to thank Clay for his time. As always on the Rage Johnston Leadership Podcast, we want you to get better. Hopefully you have in this episode. Hopefully you found some things to put into practice. I'll say this. Uh, we want you to be a healthy leader with a thriving church. So that's our goal. And on behalf of Ray Johnston and Andrew McCourt and Clay Scroggins, I'm Brad Lominick. Thanks for tuning in on this episode. We will uh, we will catch you on the next one. By the way, rate, review, and subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe. Do the things you do when you're listening to podcasts. We would love that. It helps us to get the word out. Share this episode and this podcast with a friend. We want to spread the word because uh, we're in the business of helping leaders, and that's what we want to do. So you are part of that. Your endorsement, your uh, your sharing of resources like this will help us to continue to impact leaders all over the world. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.